Hi, and welcome to Where the White Coats Come Off. We are Katie and Beth, and we are here to help you get into PA school and then get through PA school. Thank you so much for joining in today. Before we get started with our candidate success story, we have something to tell you about. If you're trying to get into PA school but feeling overwhelmed, stressed, or not sure how to even begin, we totally get it. We've been there and we've seen so many candidates either delay applying to PA school or run out of time and rush through their application, or worse yet, make big mistakes on their CASPA application that costs them an interview. Through our years of teaching at PA programs, we have seen applicants make the same huge mistakes over and over, and we don't want that to be you. If you dream of becoming a physician assistant, we want to help you achieve that dream. We want to be your mentors. And without wasting your time, money, or emotional health, you can absolutely become a PA, and there is no such thing as a perfect applicant. It's all about making sure you don't make the mistakes we've seen and making sure you do the things that make you stand out from the crowds. We will teach you exactly what you need to know in our application to acceptance course. Check it out in the show notes or go.prepaclinic.com slash course. Now on to today's episode. We are so excited to present yet another candidate success story, this one with the amazing Carissa. Carissa, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode, and you are part of our candidate success story, and we're just so happy for you and that you've been accepted to PA school this cycle, and just thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your knowledge and your wisdom from this application cycle. Thank you guys so much. I'm really excited to be doing this and just have loved uh, getting mentorship and all my experience from you guys, so happy happy to be here. Oh, thank you. Well, let's start out and tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your background. I am a Southern California native who's transplanted to Arizona. I've spent a lot of time traveling. I served in the Peace Corps not that long ago and moved around due to COVID. So I'm now here working as a medical assistant, waiting my last few months out before school starts. Yeah, so really exciting. Last few months of a of the grind before the real grind starts. Yes, and we're going to get into a little bit about, you know, how you got into school, your application cycle, etc. But I do want to talk a little bit more about your time in the Peace Corps because it is really interesting uh, background. It's really unique. I think it's something that maybe a lot of students are maybe thinking about but aren't really sure how to go about it. So if you can give us just a little bit of background on how you got involved in the Peace Corps and then where you went and then, of course, how COVID affected that because I know you were overseas during uh, 2020 and so how that kind of affected your experience. Yeah, the Peace Corps is kind of something that I started thinking about probably around the time I was 18. I heard about it and, you know, I I started traveling by myself pretty young, kind of just always had that adventure bug. And so when people started mentioning Peace Peace Corps to me, I started really looking into it. When I was in my second year of college, I actually met with a Peace Corps recruiter at my on my campus and she was just like, you're going to love it. You know, your passions and just my motivation for serving the underserved was already evident. I had been working in free clinics within California and Mexico and Nicaragua and Ghana and like several different places. I was just, it was already a passion of mine that I knew Peace Corps was kind of going to challenge me in a different way. So I left for the Peace Corps in 2018 and served in Peace Corps Zambia. I was a community health empowerment project volunteer. Basically, I did education in a rural clinic for maternal and child health. We covered topics like nutrition, immunization, family planning, 
different things along the lines of exclusive breastfeeding and so many different topics. And then, you know, of course, we covered topics such as HIV, malaria, sanitation, kind of kind of the works. What was ever what was needed in the community is what we did education on. So I served for about 19, 20 months before uh, before the pandemic really happened in end of March 2020. I got a phone call from the country director, which meant he called me for a very important reason because yes. I barely had phone signal. And he was like, what's your ETA to the Capitol? And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm working. <laughs> He's like, well, you're being evacuated. And it had been announced that morning that Peace Corps globally was suspended. I had no idea. I was sure. at work working and I don't have, I didn't have access to internet or anything like that. Well, at least reliably. So I was biking home and I biked up this hill and where I knew I had network and looked at my email and sure enough, I had basically three days to leave the country. Wow. Wow. So how did that, how did you go about that? I guess you got a ride at the airport and they had a plane waiting for you or like, how does that work? (laughs) That's so funny. Um, Yeah, no, no rides to the airport were provided. (laughs) (laughs) So I lived and, you know, I should really know this conversion by now, but I lived about 36 kilometers from the road. And no, I I got home that Monday afternoon and I knew I had to pack. So I packed the things I could and I just started writing letters. I knew I didn't have the time to actually say goodbye to people. Mm -hmm. And I lived about eight kilometers from my work. So I couldn't bike back to work and say goodbye to my staff. Like I didn't even say goodbye to anyone at work. Mm -hmm. Wow. I just wrote them all letters and, you know, apologized for the abrupt leaving and like how much how much they meant to me, and then put all of my lesson plans, all of our calendars together, the plans we had for like six months, kind of just in a notebook, and gave it to my brothers that were living uh, near the school, and I was like, hey, I mean, someone bring this to my work, like, I I don't know what to do. (laughs) It was pretty abrupt, so I packed that night and said goodbye to the people that lived close enough to me, and I walked about two kilometers, at four in the morning with some of my host family to hitchhike a taxi. Hitchhiked a taxi about an hour and a half to a town, got into another taxi about five hours from a city, into a city, Uh, got on a city bus the next day, which is about nine hours to the capital, something like that. It's all a blur at this point. Wow, I bet. (laughs) Yeah. Then it was like two days of, you know, pulling money out of the bank and getting my visa fixed and going back to the States. Wow. I traveled. This is before masks were recommended. So this is like prime, no toilet paper on shelves. <laughs> recommended. I had like just a hiking backpack and no place to live where like anywhere in the States. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like such an adventure. Like looking back, I'm sure during that time it was, super stressful but hearing about it I'm sure looking back that's like just an adventure I mean just to get to the airport it sounded like you had to walk you had to hitchhike you had to get a lot of taxis and buses I mean kudos to you for being able to do that especially on such short notice right and I I think that at that point I was there for so long that it was normal Mm -hmm. but I definitely didn't have the time to understand what what it was like the culture shock that I was gonna like experience coming back to the states yeah 
not not even just visiting like I was moving back to Southern California like right it was just like <laughs> you know I mean that's just a whole different you know usually people take months to prepare mentally for that move and I had about three days not even to prepare but just prepare for like the loss that I felt sure. and the disappointment and everything of having to leave like that it was a it was a lot yeah yeah what was the hardest thing about coming back I, yeah, I had a lot of guilt coming back, you know, people were relying on me and not relying on me to fix anything, but just we had plans together. You know, we had plans for programs that we were going to teach. I was in the middle of coordinating a safe motherhood action group. So, you know, women who were educating on the importance of labor in clinics, um, you know, men who were educating their peers on the importance of family planning, like we were in the middle of a training for this stuff. Like that's very important information. And, you know, it could have continued without me there, which is super important. But then COVID also happened there too. You know, sure. it's not like just my left COVID didn't happen. You know, the schools started closing and the districts couldn't support the health staff in the way that we were doing it. So programs stopped. So I think it was just a lot of disappointment. Like it was World Malaria Day, World Water Day, Women's Day, things that we celebrated and we had programs for didn't, I didn't follow through on them. So I was kind of disappointed in myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that I think that is so hard, you know, because you're right, you had plans and that, the fact that you had to leave so abruptly. Did you know that COVID was even happening? I mean, I know you didn't have reliable internet. I mean, because that was kind of the beginning of it. Really, what, February is when it really started to become worrisome? I knew, kind of. I actually read a paper about it, like, in January, really early on in January, my dad travels a lot. And I told him, I was like, Hey, I heard about this virus. He was in Costa Rica at the time. And I was like, heard about this virus, just heads up in case, you know, you're traveling. And that's kind of all I knew at first. But then I would say about a week before everything happened, Peace Corps did give us like some notice, like, Hey, this is kind of what's going on. You, you're welcome to leave and go home if if you feel you need to, which I, I definitely considered it. I was like, okay, well, how serious is this? Didn't really know much. My family was not really sure. So I did know a little bit in advance. Peace Corps kind of gave us a warning of what was going on. Um, I didn't really understand how serious it was to start. Like I just knew there was a virus and it was mm-hmm. starting to spread rapidly. Um, I didn't really have much more information than that. Uh, my family wasn't prepared to make a decision for me so I was planning on sticking it out until they kicked us out eventually I realized the severity and kind of knew it was like okay maybe I have two months left maybe I have you know some more time but then it was it what I went to work and and then it was like no it's over what were your living situations like overseas I first lived in a small community during my training period I trained for three months that was close to a city I'd say we were probably three hours out of the capital by by public transportation. Then I moved to eastern province of Zambia. It was about eight and a half, nine hours from the capital. And then, like I said, like 30 kilometers into the bush. So it's a dirt dirt road going into a a bunch of different communities. My community, I stayed in pretty much the whole time. I could leave and go to the provincial capitals like once a month. Um, I probably pushed it a little bit and left my house maybe once every three months. And yeah, I lived without without power, without water. I had a wonderful little garden after about m- nine months of going to a market every day. 
I decided to grow my own food, which <laughs> thankfully people helped me a lot with because it is so hard. Oh, I bet. <laughs> but, you know, so I would pump water from the borehole and food on a wood fire. People also were very, very nice to bring me firewood most days. So that was lovely because I didn't have the energy or the strength to chop my own firewood. I worked about seven, eight kilometers from my house, and it was a clinic probably about 30 feet by 20 feet, pretty small, but it had three rooms. One room was like intake and triage. A second room was kind of the pharmacy and testing area, and the third room had actually two beds for labor and delivery. It was all run by one nurse. He's in nursing school, so he's actually projected to graduate next year and he runs the facility and then beyond that we had probably 15 community volunteers all trained by him and like district health staff like government staff to do things like malaria testing and HIV testing and pack and distribute medication do blood pressure help with labor and delivery things like that was all done with community volunteers so were you also participating with that too um, no, not really. I would honestly, I was facilitating more of direction and clinic guidance. And so it was more like developing a plan for the clinic and like, okay, these are the days we need staff for this. And these are the days that we need to be doing outreach and doing actually the education for outreach going to, you know, we would bike maybe like 16 kilometers. If it's too far for people to walk to the clinic, we'd go there, distribute immunizations, where the clinic uh, volunteers would be trained for it. Like we'd have certain immunization trained volunteers. We'd do growth monitoring um, and kind of education, nutrition lessons. We'd probably have a cooking demo and like you bring tomatoes, you bring some eggs, you bring, you know, that kind of thing. And we cook together to just learn a bunch of different things. So I was more involved in the education and facilitating and creating a more sustainable program for the clinic. That's so amazing. Yeah, that really is amazing. Uh, that just sounds like fantastic experience. And again, I think you hit it on the head when you said like you wanted to serve the underserved, uh, you know, it's been yeah. part of your life for a long time. So if someone is listening to this and thinking like, hey, that sounds amazing. Peace Corps sounds like something I want to do. What would your best piece of advice for them be? Definitely reach out to your local recruiters. It's really easy to just go to peacecorps.gov and search for your recruiter. And they're always very supportive. I think that there needs to be a lot of education going forward on the importance and the impact that we as Americans have abroad. That's not a lot of education that I was provided as a volunteer, but I had to develop myself in, you know, I've done these kinds of things before Peace Corps. And so I think that there's a, there's a lot of listening and learning to be done before you do Peace Corps. Hmm. Was language barrier an issue? Did they teach you anything? Did you have a translator? Yeah, luckily, I did three months of language training in country, and you live with a host family. I had a separate house from the host family, but we lived on the same compound. So my host family spoke English, but did not speak to me in English. Just if I was really struggling with the local language, they would be like, okay, fine, we'll help you. But I actually learned the language pretty well because of that, and I didn't need a translator after about four or five months. So if, unless there was things that were going to be lost in translation, I wouldn't speak to people 
about their recent HIV diagnosis unless it was a conversation I was very comfortable having because those are important conversations. You don't need that to be lost in translation, especially if I have a translator who's always going to be in the community, who's knowledgeable about this information and can support them in a way that is better than how I can support them. So there's some things that I'm always happy to, you know, give my shot at the education, but there's some things that it's more important hearing from someone else. So during this time, did you always want to be a PA and this was kind of like the, just like a gap year or how did you start going down the PA path? Yeah, I am. I actually didn't know I wanted to be a PA until Peace Corps. And I didn't really see Peace Corps as a gap year when I did it. It was kind of, I'm always doing things off my intuition. I was probably pre-med in undergrad, but I don't even think I wanted to be a doctor. It was just like, I loved the science and I loved healthcare, but I didn't necessarily want to be a doctor. So when, like I said, people would just tell me, oh, I wish I did Peace Corps so many times that I was like, well, I don't want to regret that. It wasn't a gap year for me. It was my next move. It was what I needed at the time. And it, you know, it happens, it happened to be that I was ready after Peace Corps, but I don't necessarily see it as a gap year because I wasn't trying to fill time was it was what was meant to be but I actually learned about the PA profession right before I went to Peace Corps I met phenomenal PA after I sustained a horrible back injury oh gosh (laughs) she was just like I can't wait to hear about Peace Corps like let's stay in contact about halfway through my service I was like okay I needed, I needed to go into medicine. I was hitting a wall in what I could provide for people, and I was feeling like there was more that I could do. I went through an in-depth search through a P, like possibly going into a PhD and doing tons of research, and then I thought I would want it to go along the public health route, but the more I did it, I realized, like, no, I, I need to be in medicine because I need to be doing more. And so I, I reached out to her in the middle of my service. I think I was about 10 months in. And I was like, tell me a little bit more about PA. She, so she gave me some great feedback and explained some stuff to me, sent me as many articles as my phone would download. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, I kind of just knew it was right immediately. I was like, oh, this is perfect. So it was kind of like an aha moment, like, oh, perfect balance. And I'm really grateful. She was a great mentor. I came back and shadowed her. And she she wrote me a letter of rec. It was a great, it's been, it was a great experience. What surprised you the most when you were researching or when you're applying to PA school? Did you have something that kind of surprised you the most um, that you weren't expecting with the application process? Um, With the application process, I think that I just wasn't anticipating how quickly everything goes. Like you apply and get in within the same year a lot of the time and start, you know, I'm starting in four months. <laughs> like I'm not freaking out. Don't worry. But if you asked me last December if I thought I would be in the place I am now, there's no way. I just didn't realize how quickly it can happen. So, yeah, I, I think I wasn't mentally prepared for the changes you have to endure with, within the application. Um, if you're comfortable, what do you feel like is was the weakest part of your application? Because it sounds like you're a really strong candidate. Yeah, I think that the weakest part of my application was my undergrad GPA. I 
definitely recovered from it after taking tons of classes. But I, you know, to be completely honest, I think I had five C's by the time I was a sophomore in college. You know, it's not the most impressive GPA really early on. And I spent a long time recovering from that. And I, it, it's one of those things, again, I didn't necessarily think I had to recover because I wasn't planning on doing something like <laughs> <Right>. this. <laughs> you know? And then it's like, I came back from Peace Corps and I was like, okay, let's look at what classes I've taken. And I was like, oh. This is not competitive. Forgot about that. Um, and I actually, I just, I just took the classes that I needed to take and took some classes that sounded interesting. And I didn't even know my GPA when I applied until you guys asked me during my interview, my mock interview. I don't even know what my GPA is because I was afraid to look. But I had solid upward trends, so I'm very thankful for that. But I think it's still the weakest part of my application. Now, I actually really love hearing that because I think there's this myth out there that a lot of pre-PA students have that you have to have a perfect application. That if you get a C in a class or, you know, if you don't have this type of experience, like you're unable to get in. So I really love the fact that you're like, listen, hey, it's a holistic process. It's not just about your grades. And don't give up on something just because you're, you know, had a few C's or something like that. Because we see that a lot of people and students who are really demoralized because they have a C here or a C there. And so just having people like you who've said like, hey, it's okay. I was young back then. I wasn't sure where I was going to end up. But, you know, life is taking me in this pursuit. And, yes, I had to work. I had to take more classes. I had to do shadowing, all these type of things. But, you know, you can still make it. So I think that really gives hope out there to the students maybe who don't have as high a GPA or as high as testing scores or whatever it is as they would like. Absolutely. And I, I think that the confidence and respect for yourself goes a long way. This is a really hard application and people kind of always want to put it down and say it's not that hard or, you know, it's just two years, it's just a master's. It's not medical school applications, but the requirements are essentially the same and it is just as competitive. It's limited. You're, you're trying really hard. You have so much experience under your belt. And I think that people, it's because it's a competitive atmosphere, I think people don't want to be confident. And so it's kind of something I learned from you guys is like, you know, they already love you. And so sometimes I just tell myself like, okay, I already love me. So it's going to be okay. Even if it's not this cycle, even if it's next, like I already love it. I already have this experience and I've loved all my experiences. So let me just be confident with those. I love that. Yes. We think mindset is so important because, you know, you do shape your own reality. And as you said, like this is a step in your journey and you know that if you're meant to be there, you will end up there and you had this dream for a reason and you had this passion and all your past experiences have been leading you down this road. So it's where you're meant to be at this time. And so I think that's a really beautiful way to look at it. And that can maybe calm some of the anxiety too. I think that a lot of people have because you're like, Hey, I know this is meant for me and I don't know if it'll happen now or next year. But, you know, this is my future and this is my goal. So I think that's a really great way to look at it. How many programs did you apply to? So this is another good tip for uh, <laughs> for people applying. <laughs> I thought I was applying to 11. Open to going everywhere. You know, I've done it before. I've, moved, I've picked up and moved for two years. I can do anything anywhere. I only applied to about five. <laughs> <laughs> How did you narrow those down? I, first of all, I started with my mission statement. I started with my why. I knew that my why was underserved communities and serving the community that I wanted to live in. So that's how I initially selected. 
and then from there I went based on geography somewhere that my fiance and I could both happily live and not do long distance again because we did that before we sure. were not doing it before. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then after that I started applying I did supplementals for eight schools that I thought I was going to apply to and luckily got an interview and an acceptance within a week essentially Yay. at my top choice so I didn't have to turn in the applications for five other schools sure <laughs> yes that's always exciting <laughs> that's excellent congratulations on that Woo. Uh, well and you start in January is that correct Yes. Yeah, so it must be a busy time getting everything, moving. I know you said you get married soon. You're kind of doing a lot of things before you start. Yes, I'm planning a wedding in less than 12 weeks. Um, we are potentially moving across country around the same time frame. And, you know, there's tons of paperwork and I have to go see a doctor. I haven't seen a doctor in a long time. So there's tons of stuff you have to do before you start PS. Well, it definitely doesn't end when you get an acceptance. <laughs> Never a dull moment, right? Yes. Right. Yeah, I'm like, oh, more paperwork to sign. Okay, great. No, I love your sense of adventure. You're like, yes, I'm going to get married. I'm going to move cross country. We'll see. We'll just go see how we like it. Uh, and so I think that kind of flexibility of the mind and just the fact that you've been through some hard things and some challenges that this to you moving across country is like, okay, hey, I can do it because I've done it before and I've done hard things before. And so I think that that is a really important aspect of it because for some people that might be a big deal. But as you said, you moved to another country. You moved to Zambia, right? In the middle of right. Africa. And so I think that that experience is really going to serve you well uh, in the future because that's one of those hard things in life that you might compare some things to and be like, oh, I can move across country for a few years. You know, I lived in, I lived in Zambia for almost two. So. Right. Yeah. I always remind myself, like when things are really hard, I'm like, okay, I used to cook food on chopped wood and start a fire in the rain when I was sick. I can do this for a little bit longer. Like, <laughs> Keep it in perspective. Like running, doing like on a two mile run, like, okay, I've done a hard thing. I can do this. <laughs> I love it. No, I love it. That's such a good attitude to have. I can do this. And you really, again, it's that mental. You've got a really great, I think, mental mindset of what you can do. And then, you know, you've got a good gauge of what hard is. Tell us about your interview and how that went. The interview was, it was fun. I don't know if people expect it to be fun, but I think that there's a moment I took a few deep breaths before, like I've worked hard to be here and I want to. And I think that comes with the maturity and the mindset behind it is that like, I was nervous, sure, but someone would come on the screen and I'd say, oh, I know who this is. Like, I know that they're the program director. I know that they teach the skills labs. Like I have done the research. I had done the mock interviews and it was a multiple mini interview via Zoom. There's no way to prepare for that. You, know, <laughs> you have to trust yourself. You have to just trust that you know what you're talking about. It's all ethics. It's all morals. It's all personality. And uh, portraying that across the screen is hard, of course. But mm -hmm. I think that it comes down to, like, I was just having fun. I tried to make people laugh like I would in real life was as honest as possible because I think that some of my answers they were like are you sure you're gonna say that and I was like yeah no I stand by it that's you know not maybe not what everyone would say but I stood by my answers because I just you, you know you just tell the truth and I think that it goes better if you're not trying to recite something yeah being genuine I think is really important you know when we interview students you can tell 
if it like doesn't come up from a place of like being genuine if it doesn't come from them so I like the fact that you're like hey you got to be yourself you got to figure out which program is right for you you got to figure out if you fit with them um, because you know a lot of your professors they interview a lot of students they interview a lot of patients and so that kind of genuineness and showing your little vulnerability of being yourself I think is really really important in the absolutely so what is your number one tip for candidates that are applying on CASPA and your number one tip for the interview process? Okay, so for applying on CASPA, I would say start early, as early as you can. You know, I even decided probably sometime in June that I was ready and I wish that I had just written things earlier. You don't have to put it on CASPA. You can put it in Excel, put it in a Word document. As soon as you get the experience, write it down because here I am going back on resumes from six years ago to look at an experience description. I wish I had just written it in one place beforehand. So I think starting early and starting with a template of some sort, if you download it online or build it yourself, it takes a lot longer than you think it does (laughs) to write 600 words. (laughs) And for the interview, like I said, the best thing you can do for the interview is just be confident. I think that when it comes down to it, you know what's already going to happen before you do it. One of my favorite quotes is, whether you think you can or whether you think you cannot, you're already right. And that's how I felt going into the interview. Like I walked in and I, I kissed my cat and my fiance before walking into my office and said, hey, I'm going to go to I'm going to go to a PA school. And I, sure enough, I only had to interview once. So that was luck and excitement and happiness all in one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's always good news to hear right away. And that way you don't have to play the waiting game. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyone that's playing the waiting game, you are a strong, strong human because I am, I would not be able to do that. It is definitely the hardest part. Yes. For yeah. sure. Hurry up and wait. <laughs> what are you most excited about? For your future and where do you see yourself working? I am most excited about everything. I just I think that, you know, I've gained a lot of hands-on patient experience and built so many relationships with people that I've seen in clinics, in different medical offices, in clinics abroad, everywhere that just continuing building those relationships and seeing a positive impact in people's health and lives is is just always what I look for. So I think that's that's what I'm going to look forward to forever, is making that impact and seeing people continue to thrive. As for where I work, I, I think that I, I love primary care. I love serving the underserved. I think working in some type of preventative care clinic is really the long-term goal. I I see myself as a, as a PA in so many fields that I've worked in before. Um, in counseling, in in rural health, there's just so many things that I think, oh, this would be a perfect place to be. So hard to say at this point, but I'm definitely going to stick out the primary care route. All right, excellent. And one last question, we ask everybody this, who are you when the white coat comes off? Who is Carissa behind all this? I'm, I'm an adventure seeker, absolutely. If it's not traveling to different countries or jumping off cliffs, it's always new food and new everything. I have a hard time staying in one place. So I think that at my core, what I love and maybe what translates to the love of lateral mobility is just always wanting new things and always wanting more. So I think that's that's absolutely who I am at my core. Where has been your favorite place that you've traveled to? Ooh, that's such a good question. <laughs> that's the oh hardest one, right? How loaded. <laughs> um, my favorite 
place. Oh, I don't even know if I can answer this. I I have so much heart for everywhere that I've traveled. The first places I've traveled alone, you know, it's they're sentimental. The places I've traveled with friends, the places I tried new things, places that were dangerous, all of them, I just have so much love for everywhere that I've been. But I, I, I truly don't know if I can choose one place, but I'll try. Um, <laughs> Trinidad Beach in California is this tiny gem that I drove to. It's probably my first place that I ever went alone. And it was just, it's just this most beautiful beach, right? Like on the cusp of Oregon and it's close to home, but it's a whole different world. Besides that, like Ethiopia is amazing too. (laughs) California, Ethiopia, you know. I know. (laughs) Can't decide. (laughs) Love it. Well, Carissa, we love you. Yes, yes. We have since the moment we met you, and we are so excited. You know, I do believe this is your future. I believe you're doing the right thing. I think you're going to be an amazing PA, and the things you're going to do with this profession is going to wow and astound us. And so we wish you so much luck in your journey, and we're so excited for you to start. And good luck on your wedding, and you just have so many amazing things coming up. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. You guys have been so supportive um, and have so many good resources that I've utilized before my interview, my mock interview. And the mock interview was just like the confidence that I think that I needed. My favorite thing you guys always say is they already love you. And I think that translated to Chris, like you already love you. For me, that was that I'm going to carry that through PA school and into the future. Just you already love you. You love the things that you've done and and that's what people need to remember during the cycle. It's ruling. And <laughs> yes. Well, those are words to live by. That made our night. Yes. yes. Thank you, Chris. So if you're listening, remember Thank they you. already love you and yes. you already love you too. Uh, and we will stay updated on your journey and, uh, you know, so reach out. We just Absolutely. think you're you're such an amazing soul and we cannot wait to see what you do with this. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's going to be a good time. And, you know, I'll probably stop doing dangerous stuff and getting myself into scary places i doubt that i doubt that like you called it you have a gypsy soul you have this adventurous soul and so now you're going to go to places and you're going to you know change health care of a community uh do some crazy stuff and, drag your you know, fiance along yes, for the ride i love it right. i love it <laughs> i love i can't wait to hear what you get up to i'm so excited thank you guys so much i appreciate everything thank you carissa Thank you for listening to Where the White Coats Come Off. We are so excited to be your mentors and we'll catch you at the next episode.